0: If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm going to start out with a personal story, and then we're going to dive in. Uh, so I was born in, actually, Katy, Texas. Any people from Texas here this morning? All right, there we go. Um, so born in Katy, Texas. I was about one, and then my family moved to Olivet, Michigan. Uh, so in Michigan, my brother was born. Uh, my dad was a mechanic with John Deere, uh Swainy Equipment Company, and so they moved in from Iowa to Texas, to Michigan, and then back to Iowa again. And part of that journey is I was learning how to become a mechanic in, in ways that I didn't know that I was, just by being around him, sitting on his lap as he's working on things, riding the lawnmower, things like that. So there's one of those days where we're, um, they were renting, a, my parents were renting an acreage in Michigan, and one of those days where my dad had um, taken the ignition out of the mower, And um, being a mechanic as he was, he would use the starter wires to start the engine without an ignition. So I don't know if he just didn't have one or was waiting for uh, a new uh, ignition switch or whatever, but for whatever reason, we didn't have one. And so he would use the wires and start the mower and have to hit it a couple times and the mower would start. And so we would go and we'd mow and I would observe and he would move the lever from the the um, turtle to the rabbit and disengage, you know, those types of things. And so as a two and a half year old, three year old, I'm like gathering intel on how to do this. So he jumps off the mower. I don't know if he had to go to the bathroom or get water or whatever. He goes inside and on his way in and out, I am in the process of using the ignition wires to start this mower. Uh, Good disciple, right? Good learner of my dad. And so get the lawnmower going Kick the clutch and away we go. And so my dad hears the mower. He runs out uh, of the back door and I see him like a, a flash of lightning. He jumps on the clutch, stops it, turns the mower off and he says, Kyle, you cannot ride this without me. And I said, dad, you're really starting to tick me off. And so at that moment, what I realized, you know I look back on that moment now, but I realized that I knew how to start the mower. But when it came to actually operating it, I knew a lot of things about how to ride the mower, but I was completely immature and ignorant, and I was going to make a fool of myself, destroy the fence, and do a lot of damage, right? And so in 1 first, in first Corinthians in AD 53, Paul writes a letter to the Corinthian church. And what he says early on in the chapters, and we get to chapter 3, what he says, he says, he says I love you, but here's the deal. Jesus has ignited the spark of faith in your heart. The motor is running. But as you have driven the mower, if you will, as you have progressed in your faith, there are things in your life that you're not maturing in. Jesus started the process of saving you. He saved you, but you have not matured in your faith. And here's Paul running like lightning to stop, to say, hey, I want to wake you up. Jesus saved you, but you're not maturing. You're not able to get to the place where you're hearing the truth of God, but you're not actually hearing it. Over the past few weeks, we've heard some hard things in Corinthians. The church wasn't maturing. They were not actually relying on the wisdom of God. They were not trusting in the power of God and so we wrestle with those things as a people. Where am I at in that process? For those of you in the room, God has saved you, but in what areas of your life do you feel like immaturity has set in and God is calling you out of that immaturity into maturity? Chapter three, Paul calls out the Corinthian church. He says, I want you to turn from your infancy ways. Now this has been super convicting for me as I've just considered this. In what ways am I immature and acting like in in many ways a strong language of a baby? And in what ways has God saying, hey, I want to wake you up. I want to move you in the direction of maturity. I want you to move from bottles and baby-like ways to maturity and able to receive and take in the solid food of God's Word. So here's our big idea for this morning. Christian maturity kills jealousy and strife and grows in love and unity. So as we walk through these verses this morning, I want to outline it like this. Uh, So in verses 1, 2, 3, and 4, I believe Paul gives us three questions to kind of consider this morning. The first question is, What is spiritual immaturity? The second question is, What is spiritual maturity? And the third question is, How do we become spiritually mature? So, again, another story. Uh, When I was in eighth grade, um, I loved baseball. Uh, By God's grace, I was good enough to be able to play and join a traveling team. And when I joined this traveling team, Uh, there was a lot of drills, so situational drills. So if you've seen baseball, sometimes you'll have a runner on first base, sometimes you'll have a runner on third base, second base, and you try to figure out if this scenario comes about, what is our plan in place to figure out how to get the runner out so we can stop the score, right? And so at that time of my life, there were things, so I was, God saved me when I was eight years old. I was pretty young. He called me out of darkness and into light. I trusted him as my savior And at that point, there was a process in my heart that was growing, right? So God was moving me to maturity, but in some ways, I wasn't growing. In some ways, I was immature. And so what happened is, I was on the ball field, and one of my immaturity areas at that time was I wanted to be accepted. I wanted people to like me, and I wanted them to think I was cool, which I think a lot of middle schoolers go through, right? And so there we were on second base. My coach was actually doing some drills with our outfielders, and and we were sharing stories, and I shared a story, and the teammates around me said, hey, Kyle, we we just don't think that's true. And so what was culturally acceptable at that time was, you said the phrase, I swear to God. You guys heard that phrase? So I'm standing on second base, and if somebody didn't believe what you were saying, you would say, I swear to God, and then they would hopefully believe you. And so in my heart, I knew if I, if I, the Bible says that let my yes be yes and my no be no, and we shouldn't take the Lord's name in vain, but there was some immaturity in my heart that I wanted them to accept me. And so I said the phrase and instantly I felt conviction, right? One of my teammates was behind me and he said, hey, Kyle, I thought you were a Christian. (laughs) That stung quite a bit. And I said, well, I am, I wanted, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. There's no excuses, right? No excuses. And so here's what, ha- here's what was happening in my life. There was parts of my life that were maturing and growing. I was reading God's word. His spirit was helping me grow. But there was parts of my life that I still wanted acceptance. There are still parts of my life that I wanted the approval, the love of the world to satisfy me. And so like the Corinthian church, they were wrestling too. They had received the gospel and some of them were saying, hey, I follow Paul. Some of them were saying, I follow Apollo. Some of them were saying, I follow Christ. I was baptized by Christ. And there was division in the church. And what was happening is that their immaturity and their small view of Christ, their small view in applying the gospel to their life, they were confused on what actually Christianity was really all about. And so Paul leans into them. He leans into them in a way and he says, hey, I know that you're looking for acceptance. I know that you're looking for wisdom. I know that you're looking for the things that satisfy. But here's what I will tell you. The things that you're after are actually creating division. See in verse 1, he says, but I, brothers, could not address you. So here's what we know about Paul. He uses this multiple times in chapters 1, 2, and 3. And what, he's, what he means by that word brothers, he says, friends, family, I love you. I want the best for you. And, and similarly to a parent is developing their child, they're saying, I love you. I want the best for you. I have the greatest hope for you. Is that me? So I'm going to go back a few chapters to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11. Here's what he says. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you. Notice the immature components of this church, my brothers. That I mean, what I mean is that each of you says, "I follow a Paul," "I follow Apollos," and "I follow Cephas" or Peter, or "I follow Christ." Is Christ divided? So this is Paul's loving rebuke. I love you, but there's division. And those are good indicators of spiritual immaturity. So here's our first question I want to tackle this morning. What does spiritual immaturity really look like? And so Paul really describes it in two ways. One, that we're still needing milk and we can't receive good, solid food. And two, that there's jealousy, division, strife instead of unity and love. So my wife and I, we have five kids, and most of our kids up until about the age of one needed bottles and milk, and they were crawling and learning all those things. And so if you've seen an infant, if you've seen a toddler, they're developing and growing in their ability to be able to eat applesauce and carrots and celery and all those types of things. And um, what Paul's really saying is, hey, you should be growing and maturing like a middle schooler or a high schooler, but you're still needing milk. And so I tried to write a couple things. If Paul were to come to First City Church, if Paul were to come to Bellevue, Nebraska, what, were some of the, what would be some of the things that he would say to us today? What would he say in such a way that would, in our good, say some of these types of things? So I'm going to say some of these phrases I want you to consider in what ways would God want to mature you? So here's an example number one. Men of First City, five years ago we planted in Bellevue, Nebraska. I was hoping that some of you would actually be taking on different leadership roles. Some of you have been struggling with sin, and I was hoping that some of those sins would be put to death. Some of you would grow in your faith, and, and some of you would lead in such a way that your families would flourish. For you families, why do you compare and judge with other families? Why do you look at the outside appearances instead of looking at the heart? Don't you know that Jesus died for his church and gave his life for his church? I want want you to take a few minutes and consider the immature parts of your life. Where are you not growing spiritually? This is where it was convicting for me this week. There are some areas that I'm excited about and I'm maturing and I like to look to those things, but the areas that I'm stuck, the areas that are creating division and strife in my heart is actually unhealthy. Those are the areas that Paul is really pressing on in this text. In Hebrews chapter 5 verse 13, here's what the writer says, For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. Since he is a child, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their power of discernment, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Here's what Paul's saying is those who are able, who are maturing in their faith are actually able to discern what is good and what is evil. When we're stuck in immaturity, we're actually stuck in some ways that we're not actually understanding God's word. We're not able to understand it and therefore not able to apply it to our lives. Have you ever wondered why some people have greater wisdom than others? Uh, Sometimes at the work environment, somebody says something and I'm like, man, that that is amazing what you just said. But have you ever thought that maybe their wisdom is rooted in a deep, mature walk with Jesus? It's not the things that they've read. It's not the all the different articles they've written or read, but it's actually wisdom is coming from maturing and growing in their walk with Jesus. In what ways has God's spirit been working on your heart? In what ways is he calling you, convicting you, pulling away from immaturity and pushing you into maturity? I think the struggle is in our life, there's so many different things in our life that actually pull us and pull us pull us and push us in ways of controversy. I know at work there's some people that say, "Hey, did you hear about this?" and I want to get pulled into that. When I think of controversy and conflict and strife at First City, you better believe there's going to be some strife on who's going to win the chili cook-off tonight, right? Now I say that lightheartedly, right? Uh, but in, in reality Here's some examples. I just want to throw some out. Here's some examples of maybe questions that you've had in your own heart. Why does Kyle get a lead, a gospel community, and I don't? How come she gets to serve at the welcome table and I don't? I can't believe those people don't wear their masks. Or I can, on the flip side, I can't believe those people wear their masks. Man, the way that that family is raising their kids, totally not in favor of that. That couple over there has it all together. I kind of wish we were like them. I wish my husband or my wife was like that. I wish fill in the blank. How is jealousy and strife actually creating division in your heart? How is it transforming your mind and your heart and your life in negative ways? These examples are examples of immaturity. Immaturity doesn't mean that you're condemned, that life is over and you're stuck where you are. Immaturity just means that there's room to grow. There's there's places in your life that God is wanting to grow you and you're stuck or you're in a place where God is wanting to move you. And honestly, it gives us the opportunity to say, God, I don't have this together. I've been lazy in these areas. I've given up the fight in this area. I've let division kind of enter my heart. I've, I've let jealousy kind of enter my heart. And God, I need, to, I need to repent of that and trust in you. The truth is that spiritual immaturity is kind of like infant prison is what Paul talks about. We're malnourished. We're passive and we're a little bit on cruise control. We're not fighting for what is good and pure and right and holy, but we've kind of established ourselves in the status quo. And as we get in that kind of crash course of the status quo, our faith is getting weaker and weaker and weaker until by God's grace he wakes us up to the goodness of the gospel once again. I think for most of us, we would agree that if we could go back in time developmentally, like crawling and wearing diapers, those, like we're kind of past that stage, right? I think the nap time would be pretty sweet. But I think honestly, if we look physically, like the physical development, on the flip side of that, the spiritual development we're not okay with. There's struggles that we have, and we don't want to be the immature person in the room. And so we fight against that. On the flip side, spiritually mature people comes with freedom and hope and encouragement and trust and so much more. So I want to give a quick short definition to what spiritual maturity is. And we're going to transition into our second question this morning. Spiritual maturity is the powerful union with Christ, empowered by his Holy Spirit, that puts on display the gospel. Spiritual maturity is powerful union with Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit that puts on the gospel, puts the gospel on display. So question number 2, what is spiritual maturity? The word spiritual mean, means all things God and more more particularly it actually means God the Holy Spirit. So in Christianity if you've been around or if you've talked to people that are Christians, we know that God is one And he is three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God existed before all creation began. And in creation, God the Father and God the Son were very present in that. So God the Father sends his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus becomes a man. He lives the life that we cannot. He dies the death that we deserve. He's buried, and three days later, he rises again. And as promised... He appears to many people and then he goes and sits at the right hand of the Father. And he says, church, disciples, my people, wait, pray, and I'm gonna send the counselor. The counselor is gonna come and he is gonna come with power and he is gonna be the one that animates your faith. He's gonna be the one that transforms your heart from stone into flesh. So Jesus sends his spirit and spiritual maturity is possible. So, as God reveals himself, not only in Christ, but as his Spirit, we see that he has not forsaken us. He's with us. If you are in Christ, his Spirit is in you. Last week, Pastor Paul um, preached from the latter part of chapter 2. And here's what uh, verse 16 says in 1 Corinthians Chapter 2, verse 16 For who has understood the mind of the Lord? So to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. And so you might be asking, what does spiritual maturity look like? Well, quite simply, Paul gives it to us right there. Spiritual maturity is having the mind of Christ. So I want to refer to Philippians chapter 2. So Paul gives us the mind of Christ, but what does the mind of Christ actually look like? How do we actually know what Jesus' thoughts are, what God's thoughts are? So I want to read from Philippians chapter 2 verses 3 through 8, giving us a little bit of a description of what it means to be mature in Christ. Here's what Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interest, but also to the interests of others. Having this mind, see that same language, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So, how do we understand what maturity is? How do we understand the mind of God? Paul gives us three things in Philippians verses three and four, he says, Consider others before you consider yourselves. That's a true sign of maturity in Christ. We consider other people before we consider ourselves. The second piece that Paul gives us in maturity is in verse 5 in Philippians. Christ is the one that gives us the humble mindset. So you have people in your life that are humble, but their motivations aren't actually humble. They're doing it so they're noticed. Verse 6 through 8, Jesus died on the cross providing the way for us to become humble. That is the picture and the way of humility. The opposite of jealousy and strife is humility and servanthood. We see that in this passage with Christ. Jealousy and strife are rooted in pride, and humility is rooted in God's Son, Jesus Christ. Immaturity is rooted in self, and Maturity is rooted in Christ. So I want to give you a couple examples of what that might look like played out in our everyday lives. I think humility is one of those things, it's a little bit aloof, so I want to give some definition to that. Have you think about your own personal walk? Are you maturing in Christ? So here's some examples. Humility is the husband who is the first to approach his wife And apologize for his sin and his hurtful words. Humility is the wife who disagrees with her husband but still respects him. Humility is the child who wins the game or the race and doesn't boast in their physical abilities. Humility is the Christian who sees Jesus at work in other people and says, God is at work in you. Humility is serving on a ministry team. Humility is getting help when you need help and you're wrestling with struggles of life. This is a reality in some of your gospel communities. Humility is bringing that gluten-free pizza when you hate the taste of gluten-free pizza. (laughs) Humility is taking the time to get to know the kids, the children that are younger than you on a Sunday morning. Humility is being and living Christ to other people. Humility allows for maturity in the Christian faith. As you hear these examples, I know for me I was convicted on many of them. As you hear these examples, I want to remind you that this process begins with Jesus, is empowered by Jesus, and is sustained by Jesus. As you mature in Christ, you mature in character. So I want to draw you to another passage that reinforces this point in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And here's what Paul says. And you with unveiled faces, so he's talking about the church, unveiled faces, behold the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to the next. For this comes from who, church? It comes from the Lord who is spirit. As we mature in Christ, we become more and more like him. And I want to encourage you this morning, is he, as Paul really pushes hard on the immature aspects, he's really pushing hard on the identity in Christ. So this leads us to our third question this morning before we finish. How do we become spiritually mature? So Paul gives great clarity on what does it mean to be spiritually immature, and he gives great clarity on what it means to be spiritually mature but this particular question, he kind of answers over chapters 1, 2, and 3. And here's what he says. Number one, we have to have the Spirit. If we want to be spiritually mature, we have to, number one, have the Spirit of God. Number two, we have to live by the Spirit of God. So in the same way, um, adversely, the Christians in Corinth had become Christians, but they weren't actually living, they weren't growing and maturing. They were living in their flesh, is what Paul says. And number three, we need to kill the jealousy and strife for unity to come. So, first one, we have to have the Spirit of God. So when you get in your car, you use your key, right? When you grab a flashlight, you need a battery. When you get into your kitchen and you turn the light switch on, you need electricity. And so what Paul's really saying here is you need a power source. So in order to mature in Christ, you need a power source, and that power source is God's Spirit. In Romans chapter 10, Paul reminds us, he teaches us that if you're listening live stream or if you're in the overflow or in this room, the only way, the only way to be connected to God's Spirit, the only way to be filled by God's Spirit is to turn away from sin and turn to God. Here's what Paul says in Romans chapter 10, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For what the heart one believes in is justified, justification is that God takes us out of darkness and into light. We are made right with God once and for all. And with that, we, we open our mouth and we confess and are saved. So I want to encourage you, if you're in the place, you've been toiling, you've been wrestling, you've been seeking wisdom, you've been trying to do things on your own and you kind of make a mess of things and things get a little bit better. Today might be the day where God is moving in your heart and saying, God's spirit is not in you. He's calling you away from your sin to him. Would you trust in him today? The Father's arms are wide open. He says, he says, "Daughter, son, come home. Come into my arms, be made new, be made right with God." For those of you that are in Christ, I want to encourage you with these words. As you mature in him, as, you, as God pushes you into maturity, I want to encourage you with these words from Ephesians chapter four. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put from you. Along with all malice, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Notice those verses connect in this way. In the same way Christ has saved you and forgiven you, to walk in maturity is actually to forgive as Christ has forgiven you. The way that we continue to grow in humility and grow in unity is to continue to forgive as Christ has forgiven us. So number two, we need to live by the Spirit. I want to go back to Corinthians chapter 1 verse Four. So if you look at there real quick with me. giving I give thanks to God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. That in every way you were enriched in him and all speech and knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift. As you wait for the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of of the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's what Paul's saying here. You if you have God's spirit, you lack nothing. If you have been given Christ, he is your salvation, he is your power, and he is the one that will continue to grow you. How is this possible that we could be stuck and yet have the potential to grow? Well, the truth is Is the third point that I want to bring us to are we actually killing jealousy, strife, and division? So, the last passage that I want to bring you to is from Galatians chapter 5. And the question that I think many of us ask ourselves is if we're going to kill those types of things, are we asking the question, how close can we get to that temptation or to that struggle? And here's what Paul gives us for advice. uh, Galatians chapter 5 verse 24 says, And those who belong to Christ have crucified, crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So I want to give you a quick picture. In first century Israel, the crucifixion was a gory, public, humiliating process. So as people were nailed, their arms were nailed and their feet were nailed, they were put up on the tree as a public spectacle. That crucifixion was to show everybody if you did this sin, you're going to be made embarrassed. You're going to be put up for public display. And here's what Paul's saying is that in the same way that people were crucified, your sin has been crucified in Christ. Those things are dead in Christ. So as we come, our hearts become alive in Christ, those are being killed. The truth is, are we maturing in our walk with Jesus? I think sometimes we're wrestling with that. And so I want to call you in the same way that Paul does. Would you consider the areas of your life where immaturity has taken root? Would you consider turning from that? Killing those things, allowing the good news of the gospel to take root that you might truly, truly live. So as we close this morning, I just want to give a few minutes. We've talked about a lot of things. It's it's a lot of heavy stuff. I'll be honest. I was convicted over and over and over again this week. In what ways are we spiritually immature? In what ways is God pushing us to spiritual maturity? Maybe our circumstance right this very moment is causing us to consider what that looks like. And I want to encourage you to consider what does it look like to spiritually grow, to spiritually mature in this season of your life. I want to take a few minutes. I want to pray for you. We're going to transition to communion.